There's some repetition of songs that we sing that at times I say, boy, why do we have to keep repeating that? Not that song. (laughs) I think it's so critically important that we constantly rehearse constantly in our lives the identity of who we are. And that's one of the major issues as we look at contagious joy. It's issues of identity. So let's keep those words, keep what's being communicated. And there's many times when we don't believe it, at least up here. But we gotta realize that that's who we are, regardless of how we feel, that's who we are. We're truly a child of God in all those promises that are there. Let's pray. Father, may you continually embed in our hearts the reality of who we are in Christ. Father, for it's what wells up inside of us as we experience Christ as this deepest, deep sense of joy. And it flows from you. Help us this day, Father, as we're here in a community of faith and as we leave this place to let those song, that's words of that song ruminate as we go through the day. Amen. It was very enjoyable to prepare a sermon on the topic of joy this week. I found great joy in doing that. I want to read you the words of the Apostle Peter, and you can think about the life of Peter, all that he experienced, all that he went through. And his writings are some of the most, some most uplifting, encouraging writings. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Though faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little time we might suffer grief of all, in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved to be genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, this phrase, with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The central theme here, of course, for Peter is his relationship with Jesus Christ, which he experienced firsthand, just like John, which we'll look at in a moment. But he says to us, even though you don't see him now, you love him, even though you do not see him now, but believe in him, and you are filled with an expressible and glorious joy. That comes by virtue of a relationship in the living Christ. Inexpressible joy, inexpressible joy. What a contrast to the teachings of Karl Marx, who is at least identified as the father of Marxism. He says the first requisite for people's happiness is the abolition of religion. What a different concept. Inexpressible joy that we experience because of the genuineness of Christ, and here you cannot experience happiness unless the abolition of all religion. Two different, entirely different worldviews. The apostles, and G, uh, the apostles of Christ see joy as the answer to emptiness and the hollowness that we experience at time in life. Brandon Manning has a wonderful quote. 
I believe the real difference between the American church is not between liberals and conservatives, fundamentalists or charismatics or Republicans and Democrats. The real difference is between the aware and the unaware. When someone is aware of the love of the Father has for Jesus, that person is spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We are not joyful and then we become grateful. We are grateful that makes us joyful. Grateful for what Christ has done is what makes us joyful. The aware versus the unaware. More than anything else in life, we need to experience this deep inner sense of joy. We can't engineer it. There's no way we engineer joy. It's a gift that comes by virtue of our relationship to Christ. We experience. C.S. Lewis says on joy, joy is never in our power. Pleasure often is, of course, but joy is never in our power to produce. Our goal of the ministry year this year is to experience greater joy and celebration in community. This morning I want you to understand where joy comes from and how it affects so profoundly our lives. John, the aged apostle, wants our joy, he says in 1 John, we'll look at in a moment, to be complete. Filled with cheerfulness, it means to be complete. Gladness of the heart. And the question you need to think about today is do you have the gladness of heart? As you experience life today, do you have gladness of heart? Now, we must be mindful of the wisdom teacher in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes. A face may be sad, but the heart may be glad. We might be going through some of the most difficult things in life, and on our face, it doesn't reflect this this overwhelming joy on our face as we go through some of the most difficult things in life. But in the inner life of who we are, we still have that deep sense of joy. Let's put 1 John up on the screen. The words that were already read for us in 1 John. This is a very, very critical, important passage. This is part of John's writings, the great apostle. It follows the themes and the flow of his gospel, the gospel of John. And this introduction to this book is so important to unpack the rest of 1 John. And as we look at this, you've got to keep this in mind because he says this is what gives us complete joy. This introductory verses as well as what flows from the book. At first he says the source of joy, and he is very clear, and I've been reading through the, the, the writings of the, of the apostles in the New Testament, and I've been looking at their focus in their lives, and it's very clear the focus of their lives is clearly on the person of Christ. Everything that they are and everything unpacks, not in some simplistic thing that says Jesus handles it all, but a deep, deep sense of all that Christ has done for them. Why does John refer to the one from the beginning? He starts it out in very similar fashion as he starts his gospel. But why does John refer to the one from the beginning when he wants to talk about this idea of our joy being complete? We have in 1 John, the beginning of his his gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Everything, it says, was created by and for him. If you have seen me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father because we are one. You see, there's a Jewish audience that he's writing to. 
that would not acknowledge what he's saying about the Messiah, that he is from the beginning. For the Jews are looking forward to a Messiah that will come. Yes, they are indeed. But they're looking for a Messiah that will be almost like a super David. One who will come, will establish this kingdom, who is fully human, will establish his glorious kingdom on earth. For John to start his, his epistle and his writing by saying that important statement, from the beginning, he was from the beginning, is critically important. Because you see, the Messiah that is being unpacked in this book is not just a mere superhuman, but fully human. But he was from the beginning, and not only from the beginning, but he was God from the beginning, who brought the whole plan of the word into being and brought this whole world as we see it also into being. You see, folks, we'll not experience real joy, none of us will, unless we worship the true God, which is Jesus Christ. John wants us to say, if you're gonna experience this fullness, completeness of joy, you must be first a worshiper of God who is worthy of our worship as God. The rest of this passage, he goes on and talks about, we touched him, we testified, our eyes have seen him. We have openly experienced the word of life. Not just eternal concepts of the word, as the ancient people believed, there were certain kind of, in, in, principles that governed the world. No, those principles are, are more than the same principles. They are embodied in a person. He is the word of life. And we saw him. But the philosophers and the thinkers of the day would never acknowledge at all the coming of a savior, the one who would come in the flesh. To them, flesh was the problem. I have no problem with some sort of deity, but one who comes that they have seen, that they have touched, that they experienced, was out of their thinking. They were so dominated by the thinking of Plato of the day, they were in the new emerging Gnosticism in the early church, and needless to say, the body and its passions are the problem and the evil. It's not possible for the real eternal God to come at all in the flesh. The thinkers of the day, any of the gods were aberrations or phantom-like figures, but they would never say he's fully human. And John wants us to understand if we're gonna experience any sense of joy, real joy, we need to understand that this, this word of truth, the Savior, is more than just God. He is also fully human. We saw him, he said. We experienced him. In Hebrews chapter four it says, we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to sympathize in our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Fully God, fully human, as the ancient creeds tell us. You see, Jesus understands what you and I are facing every day. Jesus knew temptation. Jesus knew poverty. Jesus knew frustration. Jesus knew weariness. Jesus knew disappointment. He knew rejection, deep sorrow, ridicule, loneliness. Does that cover a lot of us today, what you're feeling? Jesus knows what you're feeling. We will not really experience real joy unless we realize we have a Savior who understands what we face in life. Hebrews goes on to say, since Jesus has been through it all, as the message says, 
Let's go up to him and be ready what he's to give to us. Take this mercy, accept his help. John starts his great epistle, getting us to understand the centrality of Christ as fully God, the one from the beginning, and the one who is also understands what we face because he's lived our lives. But then he goes on in this book and even in this passage to talk about some of the important reasons why we experience joy. And the first one is identity. What does he have for us? What does it mean? Our identity, we must understand as we sang that great song before this message, that our identity comes through creation but also more in our recreation in Christ. Our recreation in Christ, the new birth. Pastor had a phone call from an angry woman. I have received a piece of your literature from church, she shouted, and I resent you using the mail to upset people. What was so upsetting about a piece of mail from the church, the pastor asked calmly. You have no right to try to change my religion, the woman stormed. You have your religion, I have mine. I'm not trying to change yours. Changing your religion or anyone's religion is not our purpose, the pastor exclaimed. But we have experienced a wonderful new life through faith in Christ. And we do all we can to share it with others. We have experienced something that's wonderful in the new birth in Christ. And we just simply want to share it with others. Everything we have and everything we come flows from conversion. It flows from the powerful grace of God that's entered into our lives to transform and to change us. But most importantly, we must understand because of that, we are adopted into the family of God. If there's anything that we want more than anything else is to be part of a spiritual family. A college student returned to the campus after going home for a family funeral. And almost at once, her grades began to go down. Her counselor thought that it was the death of her grandmother had affected the boy. And over time, the wounds would heal. But the grades became worse. Finally, the boy confessed to the real problem. While I was home, he happened to look into his grandmother's old Bible. He discovered in his family record that he was an adopted son. I don't know now who I belong to. I don't know where I came from. The beauty of a spiritual family is every one of us that know Christ are adopted into his family. John goes on in this letter to unpack so many things about who we are in Christ. He's cleansed us from sin. He's given us the living presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We can experience every day the deep love of God for us because nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can approach God with with freedom and access. And much more is affirmed in Paul's writings and Peter's writings as well as John's writings. It's so important for us folks to recognize our identity of who we are. Never forget who we are. This is what brings joy to us. This is what brings this deep sense of purpose. John goes on in this passage to talk about the importance of community. The importance of community that we share with one another. A community of God and Jesus and the Spirit and all fellow believers. We are part of this special spiritual family. And you look around here in this context of this place, there's people who you have experienced great encouragement and it's been an enormous sense of joy for you. 
You can personalize that in your life. Who's that person? Who are those people that in the moments of greatest need, because community is so important to experience joy, they came alongside me at the moments when I needed them the most. Many of you have encouraged me in many, many ways. But at times, all of us need encouragement. I was in the car with my brother over in Wisconsin. I was having a real bad week. It was a really bad week. And I just raised the question with him. It was just two of his car, and he's in the car. And, and I just said, you know, sometimes I really wonder, after all the years I've been in ministry, if I really ever touched lives at all. And sometimes when you're low in ministry, sometimes you ask the question, Is it, have I really impacted lives in any way? It was a low point. And I was driving the car, and he, and he was not driving the car, and he, he leaned right over to me and said, that is not true. I can talk, give you examples of countless peoples that you have ministered to, and he was adamant to go after me, to say, what you're thinking is not true. You have impacted many people, and we share community together. People join churches more because they want warmth than light. Sermons get us into the church, maybe, what keeps people coming are friendships that foster inner awareness and support. Paul, or John says, if you want this deep inner joy, share it in community. Share it with one another. And if you don't know somebody, reach out to somebody so you can foster that support. The final one is that we have an incredible eternal home, our destiny. Jesus is the one who is eternal life, the passage says, but he also provides it in new birth, now and for all eternity. Eternal life is the quality of life we live in relationship to Christ now. But then we have this destiny. D.L. Moody says, the world is a land of sin, death, and tears, but up yonder is unceasing joy. And I've had many experiences with people over the years who are dying. And the promise of an eternal home, the promise of heaven and eternal life is so critically important to them at that time. And there's a sense of peace and joy that come over them when they realize that they will experience very shortly the incredible joy of our eternal home. Billy Graham says death is not the end of the road. It's merely a gateway to eternal life beyond the grave. How true that is, folks. But finally, I want us to understand that gratitude brings joy. We become grateful people every day. One of your spiritual disciplines in your life is every day you must take time to sit, take a step back and reflect on all the unbelievable things that you have in your life and all the things that God has done for you. You will not experience joy in your life if you do not have times in your life where you stop often and thank God for all the incredible things he has done for us. Again, Brandon Manning's words, when someone is aware of the love the Father has for Jesus, that person is spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life, and the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We are grateful, and it makes us joyful people. John wants us to understand so deeply this inner sense of joy flows from our identity. It flows from our identity. It's reinforced in community. And it's lived out ultimately in eternal life. Amen.